0: He's such a good human. Yeah. Stop showing us (laughs) up.
1: (laughs) Whose idea was it to have Astrid?
0: Behind every creative person or small business is a great story waiting to be told.
1: And we are here to tell them.
0: I'm Shane, aspiring author and man behind Idyllic Endeavour.
1: I'm Hannah, semi-abstract artist and woman behind Sarah's studio. And this is the I Endeavour podcast. We're here today with author Astrid V. J. Hi hey how are you guys <laughs> good,
2: good how, how are, are you? you good thank you good. it's been chilly here in sweden
3: oh, oh really
2: so, spring is not here yet <laughs> it snowed <laughs> last week so we're just kind
1: of like hold hold in and yeah.
0: yeah So you get proper snow as well not like a little flake like us is proper well
1: we're having very strange weather at the moment it's like global warming gone mad because mm. we're having a couple of seasons in a day at the moment. We've <laughs> yeah. got like snow in the morning, sun in the afternoon, rain in the evening sort of yeah. situation. It's all over the place. <laughs> anyway, um, why don't you tell us a bit more about yourself and what it is you do?
2: Sure. Uh I'm uh I was born in South Africa and that definitely is very important to think about in terms of my formation and where I come from. Because uh, my dad is German, so even though I was in South Africa as a South African, I was different, and that, that difference has kind of constant been my constant companion throughout my life. So even though now I live in Sweden and I look Swedish, as soon as I open my mouth, all Swedes go, "Hang on, where are you from?" <laughs> <laughs> so about the question what do I do? That's a tricky one because I'm a jack of all trades. I am a social anthropologist, I am a transformational life coach, and I am a successful author writing fantasy in a variety of subgenres. So yeah, I'm a bit of a complex, multifaceted person and if I keep going on, we'll be here all night. So I'll leave it there <laughs> and you keep going with your next question.
0: Was <laughs> well, writing always a career path that you wanted to go down, or is it just something you picked up along the way and has now developed?
1: I
2: think we'll have to say writing was probably my first passion. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that quite along the way, but I found out more recently when my aunt gave me some beautiful signposts that I wrote when I was four and a half or five years old with complete, they're they're really cute actually, you know, completely misspelled, but I had this need to put things into writing, even from that early age. Although my drive to write fantasy came when I was 12, and I've been writing since then, so it's been a, oh, wow. been a while, yeah. Mm,
1: very long time. It's a long time. And did you go to college um, to write or are you self-taught?
2: That, that's the where the shift comes in because <laughs> during my teens, I kind of saddled myself with the idea that I'm never going to make it as a writer. Writing is not a serious ambition and it's not a reasonable job option for me. And so I needed to go and do something that was going to be sensible and that was going to get me a job. So I decided to study psychology and ended up hating it. But thankfully, I didn't want to give up on the writing just yet. So I actually took a double major course where I majored in psychology and English literature. Okay. And that then meant that I had to take a series of electives in my first year and anthropology stuck so I actually ended up doing three majors for my Bachelor of Arts.
0: Oh wow.
1: Wow. <laughs> Basically what we're getting from this is that you're very, very intelligent. <laughs> yeah.
0: Definitely.
3: Uh, sum up.
0: How would you sum up what you do in five words?
2: I write transformation fiction. There we go. I did it in four.
0: There we go. <laughs> the writers are much better at this. The
1: writers are. But like, what would we expect? True. True. <laughs> what was your earliest memory of wanting to write? Then I know you just touched on an early memory there, but what was the earliest memory that you were like, "Yeah, that's that's what I want to do"?
2: It's not so much. Well, let's put it this way: It I grew into it, because and I'll I'll blame my mum because <laughs> she's read to me from very early on and. She challenged me to read difficult books. So we read Lord of the Rings when I was eleven.
0: <laughs> wow. i read it and it's tough. Yeah. I wasn't eleven.
2: <laughs> no, it's it I didn't read it alone until I was much older. But then mm. the first time we got through it, because she did try a little bit earlier and we didn't make it. So we the first time we got through it, I was eleven. And that definitely You know, that that whole thing of the love of words, the love of books, and the whole idea of just immersing yourself in a fantasy universe just totally captivated me. And I I adored The Hobbit. And you have to remember, this was years before any of the movies came out. Oh, yeah. Hmm. So it was a very much different experience back then because. Now, a lot of people, even with the Harry Potters, they see the movies first before they read the books. And I was lucky enough to be one of those who got everything in the right order. Yeah,
1: Yeah. I was just about to compare because um, Harry Potter, the books kind of, I mean, not, there was a shift later on because she took a while to write a few, but the early ones came out and I was kind of a similar age to Harry and this is before the films and everything my mm. aunt and uncle got me the first book and i was hooked then i wasn't much of a reader before then and yeah then i really got into it All
0: right i'd say more than got into it i'd say you're slightly obsessed to be yeah no. okay <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah the
2: harry potters i remember one of my aunts gave me the first two for christmas and i mm. just I devoured them and then I yeah. was like, when's the next book coming out?
1: Yeah, mm. I used to be the kid that like stay up all night and like read it all. I don't know how I got the information <laughs> in. <laughs> what a sad one.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, when when the fifth book came out, I was, you know, I said my dibs and I was going to read it first. And then I was, I had a vacation with my grandmother in Germany. I had to finish the book before I left because my sister and my mother were like these -hmm. little vultures hanging over my shoulder going, when are you finished? Mm
3: -hmm.
2: (laughs) And I remember speed reading the last hundred pages on the drive to the airport. (laughs) Oh, wow. Because I had to like finish this book. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Uh, Harry Potter was also really resonant for me because it was the first fantasy book books that I read that actually had, you know, multicultural society mm-hmm. because most of the previous ones were very much white and yeah. that's kind of what got me into the writing when I was 12 before I got my hands on Harry Potter was this idea that struck me was that I wanted to write an African fantasy. because that's mm-hmm. I'd never read anything like that and I really wanted to. And now, unfortunately for me, I guess, is that Tomia Diemi published her book before I did. So. <laughs> <laughs> so my very first novel is a latecomer now. But it's, it's something I'm still working on because it needs, it needs work. And, uh, the 12-year-old mind needed to grow into the story because it, was, mm. it needed more than what I had at the time.
0: think that's part of it as well like you can start writing something and it sometimes it does take a good while for it to mature and to actually come to fruition
2: absolutely
0: so why don't you tell us then a bit about your most recent published book
2: a good one to choose because this one the apprentice storyteller i came up with the idea for the book over 10 years ago and kept getting stuck and I kept writing and writing and then I get stuck and I just would not flow. And 18 months ago, I took my certification as a transformational life coach and bam, I understood what I was missing. And then I wrote the book in a month. <laughs> oh, wow. It's
0: <laughs> very quick.
2: Yeah. So it, it's very much that thing. Sometimes you have an idea but you're not ready for it yet. Mm. you haven't learned what you need to learn that you subconsciously know is there but you can't quite consciously grasp and you can't force that kind of writer's block you have to grow yourself you have to wait until you figure it out Mm.
0: yeah i wish i had like not the how i was gonna say dedication i wouldn't say it's lacking dedication but to sit down and write the full thing in a month is impressive because Mm. i touched upon it in a, a previous episode but I am awful for starting and then I might have two, three weeks between writing something and it just takes ages but I'd rather have that and then be happy at the end rather than try and rush it out but obviously you had the ideas, everything was flowing,
1: mm. it was
0: going well for you. so.
1: We're completely different people because I totally get the fact that you had to come (laughs) back to it, or that you wrote it in a month even, and I don't get Mm. how you could like how you park things, because if I'm doing a painting, I can't stop, like I can't just like leave it and come back to it. I like have to do as much as I can. Yeah, for for me, it's
0: usually like I have the whole kind of overarching story, and then there might be parts that I have a section of, but I don't feel the chapter is full enough. There's not enough descriptive detail in there. There's not enough of the the world building in there. But at that particular moment, I don't feel like I can give it what it needs. I feel like I need to think about it more. I need to really build up in my head what the rest of the story needs to be Mm -hmm. and then go back and finish it Mm -hmm. rather than just kind of like, you know, here's here's a 10 page chapter which just feels kind of empty and is is just like more filler than anything mm. and i don't want that to kind of anyway, happen please tell us <laughs> yeah.
2: about the plot of the book <laughs> yeah tell us more about your
0: book it
2: Just, just <laughs> this whole thing about the different strategies for writing i think that's really fascinating because yes absolutely i've found that i definitely have that same tendency like if i get stuck on something and i'm like no i'm missing something here or where I want to push the character is not the right way to go because it's not in tune or in harmony with the character. And then I have to leave it and wait and see and think about it. Mm -hmm. And often, like, the the penny will drop in the most random of moments, and Mm -hmm. then I'll be able to go back to writing. But one thing I have found that's been really awesome Mm -hmm. is because I've now been in this whole published author phase of my life for Mm -hmm. two years, and I... Get questions about what am I working on, what's the next book, what's happening, and also for my Instagram page, for example, I actually post about what I'm busy writing or what I'm planning to write. Mm. I've actually started working on the issues and the themes and where I'm going with these stories a lot better in sort of planning. That's not the way a lot of other authors plan, mm-hmm. and so yes, I would be classified as a pantser because I sit down and write and I see where the characters take me. But I do actually plan out certain scenes very carefully Mm. way before I write the book. And I find it actually helps because I know where I am and where I'm going to. And then most of the fillers kind of work themselves out quite quickly. So, yes, maybe I'll need to take a few hours break, but it'll only be a few hours, not several Mm. days like it used to be. Because, yes, I definitely Mm -hmm. had that before. Mm-hmm. So, The Apprentice Storyteller is pretty much what it says on the cover. It is a young boy who wants to learn the art of storytelling and he comes across the best storyteller, the master storyteller of them all, the most famous in the entire empire. And that's the first storyteller he's ever met. And so he goes, well, whoa, I'm going to have to take this up. I'm going to have to make this storyteller accept me as her apprentice. And that takes a little bit of time because Viola doesn't do apprentices. She's not that kind of person. As she puts it at one point, is she's just not a teacher. She's not born to that character. She doesn't have the patience for it. And she hates having to walk people through stuff but the amusing thing is that the book is actually about how the apprentice teaches her the skills to achieve her dreams because she's been living on the run for 20 years and hates her life and feels stuck and feels like she's never going to achieve anything of the things that she really wants to achieve and so this boy shows her that no, that's not true. You can actually reach for your dreams no matter what the circumstances are. And I find it one of those congruencies of the universe that it took me ten years to write the book and then I wrote it one month before COVID-19 struck in, in China. And that then I was editing this book when it, we were in lockdown here in Sweden. Mm. And it kind of felt like, yeah, this is a book that needs to be out there. So everything in due time, it comes as a must. Mm.
1: It sounds really interesting.
0: Yeah, and I think actually a lot of people have found this time at home and stuff like that a a kind of an opportunity to really push forward with projects they've maybe wanted to do for a long time and just haven't got around to doing them. So that's...
2: Absolutely.
0: So and and, and that's
2: a little bit more, sorry, about the, um, the idea of what I call transformation fiction. Because, yes, there is a genre called uplit, which is uplifting literature. And, you know, amongst the most famous of that particular genre is Paolo Coelho's The Alchemist. And you also get other books that kind of fit in there as like The Little Prince. And, yes, there are books that give you an uplifting feeling. But I'd like to see it that I take it one step further because I actually try to give my readers the groundwork for what building blocks exist for them to actually transform their lives themselves. So instead of writing a self-help book, I'm writing it as a fantasy novel, but it does have this aspect of actually teaching how we can achieve success in the face of adversity.
0: It's a really interesting yeah, concept. So you're
1: bringing all your mm. knowledge together in your book.
0: Yeah, it's really good.
1: Mm.
0: So, why don't you tell us then about a character that you probably most identify with?
2: Oh, that's a difficult one because I write a lot of myself into my different characters or people who are very close to me. But I think we'll go for the first one cuz she's <laughs> she's special. So, This is Aspiring, part one of the sibling's tale, and Elizabeth is a 14-year-old girl who I wrote when I was 19 years old. Uh And it is very definitely everything I hated about myself ended up in this character. And then she became everything I aspired to be, and she has a very special place in Mm. my heart.
0: Mm. And was that your first? Was that your first book? Your first. It's my
2: first published book. Yes.
0: Mm. Okay, so that was so I suppose has a kind of special place as well. Like your first is probably the most exciting, and then you know it kind of not that it gets less exciting, but the first one is the real first
2: on a lot of counts. Yes, absolutely, because it was the it was the first book I finished writing, like Mm. fully, Mm. and then it was additional. The first book I've published, and it's the first book to receive a reward, uh, an award. So, hmm.
0: that's... I not you tell us a bit more about the award then.
2: Sure. Um, it has received two literary classics awards uh, silver in young adult fantasy and gold for fairy tale retelling. And Apparently. this is a retelling of the Grimm Brothers' lesser known tale, Brother and Sister, which is a it's essentially, it starts off about a, two, two children running away from home because their stepmother is an evil witch and has done awful things to them and then transforms the brother into a deer. And then the sister takes care of the deer in a cabin in the woods until the king rides by one day and chases the deer and the deer leads him to the hut and then the king falls madly in love with the sister and marries her. And I like this particular fairy tale very much because it doesn't end when they get married. There's actually a whole section mm. to the story after the marriage with, you know, dealing with the witch stepmother and having children and, you know, mm. there's, there's more oh, to the story. That. It's not like mm. life ends with marriage, like most yeah. story ta- or most fairy tales kind of have that subtext. Yeah. And then I, when I was 15, I read *El Enchanted*, and I absolutely loved the idea of giving a backstory to Cinderella and the prince, and that they actually know each other. But I was upset with the idea that it's yet another Cinderella story, and we have so many of those. So this was how I kind of combined my love of fairy tales and the absolute adoration for *El Enchanted* into something its own. <laughs> <laughs> and so the first part, the Aspiring, is written from Elizabeth's perspective, almost like a memoir. is very much in her turn of voice, and it's her backstory of why does she have to flee with mm-hmm. her brother. And mm-hmm. then the second book, which is called Becoming, part two of the Sibling's Tale, uh, here it is, is then essentially the retelling of the tale. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's really cool.
1: Yeah I love the fact that you didn't just finish it at the marriage as because if there's one thing that annoys me about a book <laughs> or a film actually even is I want to know what happens afterwards. I'm mm. like no this is like you're cutting me short here. Yeah, yeah the fruit, adventure no. doesn't end there. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah there's always that kind of trope with fairy tales isn't there that you yeah. know happy ever after everyone gets married and that's it like Life it's also stops. an
1: implication that life stops when you get married. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> which isn't true.
0: No, 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 definitely not. <laughs> uh,
1: so, do you have always have like a clear vision of uh, your next book, or does it just happen? Like, does it just evolve? I
2: think the problem with me is that I've been at it for so long. I have so many ideas in my head that it's a matter of picking which one is it going to be. Mm. So. For example, with the the apprentice storyteller, the the original idea was a combination of this concept of the storyteller and, and the apprentice having their journey through land. But it was also a means to nest short stories because I had a, a whole collection of shorter fiction that had kind of come to me in dreams, but I don't like short story collections, just, you know, random. I needed it to have a sort of frame narrative that connects all of them together, even Mm. though they are separate stories. And part of the realization when I did my um, life coaching certification was that each one of the stories, these shorter stories, actually fits in with one of the key principles of the of transformation. So, I in the end decided not to nest them in the story. They are all mentioned in The Apprentice Storyteller but I've actually created a new series called The Word Major's Tales and that is now These Tales uh, okay. of which the first uh, I just published two weeks ago for oh. my newsletter subscribers. So, that one's exclusive to my newsletter and Street Team and mm in two weeks time i will be publishing on amazon the next book which is called the artist and his muse
0: oh, wow very like busy that title. I, yeah i like the idea as well of you <laughs> you know kind of giving that little exclusive to you know the people that follow you and the people that are close to or keep an interest in what you're doing i think it's a really nice little idea to just mm-hmm. like here's here's an exclusive story for you guys i think it's a really nice nice thing to do mm-hmm. So I suppose fantasy is one of the genres you, you kind of, you mainly write, but is there other genres that you'd like to try, or...?
2: Fantasy is the umbrella genre, absolutely, and yes, each one of my books dabbles in one of the subgenres. So I have three fairy tale retellings now, because I have the brother and sister two-part series, mm-hmm. And then I have a retelling of the Ballet Giselle, which is called Gisela's Passion. And um, I published Naïa's Wish, which is part of a, a set. So there are 20 novels that are all fairytale retellings. And Enchanted Kingdoms is what the whole set is called. is actually raising money for an autism charity. And oh, wow. that one will, uh, is it's a limited edition, so it won't be around for much longer.
0: That's really nice. That's really nice.
2: And so that's kind of the fairy tales. Then The Apprentice Storyteller is what I call fantasy space opera, not a focus on actual technology, there's a focus on how the cult looks like with this technology, not so much what the technology does for people and so that's why I call it a space opera. Cross- the word mage's tales are all very historically influenced so uh, each one is set in a different time period mm-hmm. of from our time but it's, it's also kind of set in the universe of printed storytellers. And I'm also currently working on the Etherenia project which is a Four book, four anthologies, where where the authors together write school year at the Gifted Blood Academy in Etherenia. So that one's quite a lot of fun because I get to work with other authors. That's been a lot of fun to write, and that one is fully young adult fantasy and obviously magical academy as well.
3: Mm. There. What would you do
1: if you weren't doing what you're doing? What would you be doing?
2: As you said, that's got a lot. That's actually a trick question for me because <laughs> I'm kind of doing it. <laughs> yeah, uh, I work my day job as an administrator for a Swedish organization that helps Muslim associations get government funding for adult education. And that's pretty much me in the anthropologist role, working, mm. working as an anthropologist day in and day out, helping people cross cultural barriers, find their way in shifting sands, and it's a lot of fun although it is very taxing work and yeah, I, I am so. looking to move on that said there has been an opportunity for a phd in social anthropology so we'll see if that comes through or not because if that does the writing is going to have to wait
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah you would be very busy
2: <laughs> absolutely and then as uh, a the coaching i do a little bit of of public speaking in terms of just presenting what life coaching is about. I don't have any clients at the moment. I'm open clients so that's you know it's something that's kind of in the background at the moment and it's influencing my writing more than anything at the moment but it is there and I definitely have a plan to actually start up a project here in Sweden to work with youths who are of immigrant background and to help them achieve what they want to set out and achieve in their 20s rather yeah. than in their 40s. Yeah, that's
0: really
1: nice. Wow. Really you nice. do a lot of very... Yeah. Like, work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm very Putting put me to shame. <laughs> I was just about to say, we were talking to someone else on a previous podcast about BS jobs but you don't have any of them. No. <laughs> Yours is all really meaningful and lovely. Yeah, <laughs> there's yes. no kind of corner. No, like, it's like
0: everything has to... take
1: like, the list jobs here.
0: Yeah, it, there's definite purpose to them, which is it's nice to hear somebody's yeah. doing something like that rather than just the day in, day out stuff.
2: Everyone can do that. Everyone can have a meaningful existence, mm-hmm. but mm. it's up to each one of us to decide that we're going to do it and to let the fear fall away because most of the time it's fear that holds us back. And mm. if we think about it, I mean, my fear of putting myself out there held me back with my writing career for 20 years. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm.
0: Yeah. I just want to touch back again on the, the fantasy genre. I just wanted to get more of a kind of insight into what it is about that genre that appeals to you most, what draws you into it.
2: I love the imagined worlds, I love completely escaping our mundane, boring reality, only to find that there's so much to learn about our mundane, boring reality in a fantasy world. (laughs) True. (laughs) That's always appealed to me, is the, the fact that I can step out of my lived reality, have an experience, and then come back and actually realise that I can apply what I've learned.
1: Hmm. Mm.
0: You have such a, a different way of thinking about things compared to so many other people. Yeah. Like it's just yeah, it's, it's, it's the nice. psychologist, I think, can you Yeah. Definitely <laughs> definitely. You're apply. like
1: I you can apply what you've learned to I'm like, I can escape into that and then come yeah. back to my <laughs> yeah. real life. Yeah. No offense.
0: No, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> It's fine. I can take it.
1: (laughs) So what advice would you give to people wanting to start writing?
2: Well, why haven't you started yet? What's holding you back (laughs) from starting? But to those who have started, I would say write from the heart. It's the one that I always say. It's really important to remember that when you're writing, it has to be authentic because otherwise your reader is going to see Mm. that you don't mean what you're writing about your your heart isn't in it they know this a reader can see that and those are the books that get put aside that people don't ever finish reading so don't write for the market like
3: mm.
2: it doesn't work write what you need to write you know your soul wants you to write and the rest will kind of fall into place around that
0: yeah it's really good advice and it's something that I think we've, we've spoken to a few, uh, so I writers or authors, uh, yeah. on the podcast and, uh, it's definitely advice that they've all given is don't just write, you know, what's trending now, what's the, what's the most, you know, trendy kind of stories or, or genres, like right from the heart, right from what it is you want yeah. to talk about. Um, because as you say, that authenticity is what readers want. Uh, And that's what helps you stand out from the crowd like Mm. if you just write the same as another another book you're gonna get lost
1: but that can be applied to anything as well yeah you know there's no point uh making a piece of clothing that is on trend you should make what you want and Mm. like then people will see the love that you've put into that you know could yeah it applies to uh, absolutely everything absolutely
2: and don't study like I did what's going to get you a decent job Mm. because it doesn't work Mm -hmm. you need to study what you know you believe in what you feel in your heart you want to be doing because then you'll do well and you'll find a good job in that Mm -hmm. in that field
0: yeah I think if you're passionate about something you have that commitment inherently within you to drive forward with it rather than forcing it because then you just step aside from it and you just don't go back
1: highs and lows
0: can you tell us about one of the best highs you've had while writing, okay maybe i rephrase that <laughs> <laughs>
3: I'll say that again
2: don't get high Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't because I think this is a perfect opportunity to share what my husband calls my habits <laughs> okay. you see, I, I have deal my editor and my book cover designer. <laughs> and I i have to save money every month to fund my habit. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, okay. At least it's a legal habit, that's probably a good thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what's been the biggest high in your writing career? And maybe then one of the biggest learning curves you've experienced?
2: Biggest high, and coupled to the biggest learning curve, was definitely beginning of March, uh, receiving the USA Today best bestseller listing.
1: That, that's amazing. That's really good. I
2: joined the the charity set, um, Enchanted Kingdoms, and this was part of the yes, we wanted to raise money for charity, but we were also hoping to make the listing. And it. it pulled it off it was a lot of work and that's where all the learning came in was I learned so much about marketing about how to position yourself with with pre-orders and to really market a book before it even exists
0: Hmm. I think that's one of the hardest things as well like it's such a minefield I think for anybody who's looking to start writing it's one thing that maybe you should really look into not to stop you from writing but if you're looking to publish is there is so much stuff to take into consideration and it's very tough really difficult I mean I'm I've, I've not published anything yet in like the mainstream or anything like that I've put a couple of short stories up on my website and stuff but nothing officially published yet mm-hmm. But even looking at, like, the different roads you can go down, making a decision which way or the other you're going to go, or try and go. Um, But there's just so much stuff. But I think it's a great thing, as you said, like, pre-orders. is really important to just get that kind of ball rolling and get the kind of the hype for, for what you're bringing out there. I think it's a really good idea. And something that actually no one else has really mentioned. I think that's very important. I mean, I think it's probably very difficult as well for people that are really excited to get their first book out there. I think there's probably a tendency to just rush it and get it out, um. But it's 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 probably to your detriment to do that. You really have to kind of wait and wait mm. until the right time.
2: Well, you you do lo- There's so. Firstly, there's never a right time. It's mm. like with having children. There's never a right time, but you just go ahead and you do it and you work your way through. <laughs> But with with the books, it's definitely good to have a brand that you're going to, to market. So, it's good that if you have one book, that you at least already have a second one in the pipeline. Or if you're just going to write the one book, then you have to really market it well and get a lot of people hyped and helping you deal with it mm. well before you actually release it. So, that's… With me, for example, it's my first three books were essentially flops in that they did not do well on release. But they gave me the opportunity to learn with each one and to expand my network in the mm. time it took between each one. That at the time I launched my fourth book, I knew what I, I had a much better idea on what I was doing so that when I got my cover back from my cover designer 4 weeks before my launch date and it was awful i said okay no i'm going to cut it here i'm going to push out my launch date by 6 months i'm going to get a proper cover done and i'm going to take my time and i'm going to use this opportunity to market my book in the meantime mm. and that was a very good had a complete book it was fully edited it was but i gave myself that time to just do the work do the steps and that was very useful because i did actually hit number one new release for the apprentice storyteller
0: wow i'm gonna i'm gonna ask you this question then um what do you think is the best way to market your book ahead of time considering i suppose especially if you managed to get straight to number one that's pretty impressive
2: it depends on you because what works for me doesn't work for somebody else.
0: Mm.
2: I am very good on it for some reason. I don't know why that particular platform works very well. It, it just does. I kind of seem to have this natural ability to understand how it works and to use it to my benefit. I am also pretty good on Facebook but for example, Twitter I have completely left because mm. I don't want to even get involved with that nest of hornets at this point of my life, <laughs> and I just felt that I'm not going to spread myself too thin. But so it might it's, some authors Twitter works really well for them. Other authors are using TikTok and it's great for them. Also spread out into YouTube. I've, I've set up a YouTube channel and I do put out my my book trailers and. Mm sort of well, let's put it this way. I have a video series about my my first retelling and all the social material that I've actually woven into the fabric of the story.
0: That's a good idea kind of like a behind the scenes kind of like here's actually where the story comes from. and,
2: from and. Exactly. Nice and so I give a bit of of my background like why why did I choose a mountain setting for my story? Well, it's because I had this really Id- idyllic image of Germany because my grandmother was from the Alps. So anytime mm. we went to Germany to visit her, we would spend time either skiing or hiking in the mountains and that kind of is my image of Germany. So when I then mm. decided to retell a German fairy tale, I wanted to kind of put that into my book as well.
0: Yeah, it's true. I mean, I suppose a lot of the time as well, we probably didn't realise that your experiences in life have imprinted into your, your way of writing. Like the things that you write about often do link back to experiences that you've had um, and you might not even realise.
2: In a lot of ways, I think our storytelling is our human ability to process what we've learned and to share it with others. Mm. We've now just updated it to the 21st century and how we publish books.
0: That's mm. very good. Uh, it's that understanding actually is is true. Like Being able to just take what you've experienced and actually share. And as you said, like we're sharing it in a way now where we're telling a story but it has actual deeper deeper meaning to it definitely so one other thing then um, with writing in general I suppose is what would you see as the biggest challenge that you would face when it comes to writing
2: finding the time to do so that's this difficulty of carving out that time to just find the quiet to write it, mm. it can be very very hard
0: yeah, no, I can I can hundred relate <laughs> to that. <laughs> time is time is precious and there's very little of it. So um, can I <laughs> yeah.
2: and quiet time quiet time where you can actually sit and have a conversation with characters in your head or just stare out the window for twenty mm. minutes, figuring out the scene. And no one's going to walk in on you and go, Mommy, 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 I need X or mm. <laughs> Yeah. There's no such
1: thing or, as quiet time are in you this. House. Down yet?
2: Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, there's no, no such thing as quiet time in here. No.
1: <laughs> you know. uh, so, what's coming next? What should we be looking out for? The
2: Artist and His Muse is the next book in The Word Major's Tales, it's coming out on the 30th of April. And the next one, The Last Warrior, will be out on the 9th of June. There are more in the pipeline. The Companion's Tale is almost done, so that one will also be coming out in the summer sometime. And then I have another charity project, which is a contribution to a collection of short stories about magical waters. It's called Enchanted Waters, and we're actually raising funds for the Ocean Cleanup Charity and protection uh, ocean protection charity called oceana oh, and wow. that one i'm really excited about because it's going to be fully illustrated which is oh lovely oh,
0: that's nice yeah that is nice that's lovely God, you're such a good human yeah <laughs> stop showing <laughs> us <off>. up.
1: <laughs> whose idea was it to have astrid things from the coaching side
2: is that <laughs> you you need to tithe you you have to give but it doesn't have to be money and so i thought well how can i give with my writing and that's when i came across the idea of doing fundraisers through books and Mm. that really resonated for me
0: yeah i think that's a great idea and you do see i suppose you see it maybe more with i suppose higher profile maybe uh writers and authors would do some sort of charity release or something like that or a collaboration between a couple of writers um but it's not really anything i've really heard of other than that to be honest so it's really interesting that there is actually an option out there and because as you said yeah not everybody has money but if they're able to to write something that people enjoy and can contribute then i think that's a great way to to give Absolutely.
2: Well, if we think about it, the Enchanted Kingdoms set of fairy tale retellings raised $3,000 in the first week. Wow. Well, and that, because it's, it's a small charity, and they said that it covers their costs for running their current operations for two years. And so everything oh. that's come in since then is a bonus for them to expand what they're doing.
0: That's That's amazing. amazing. Really is amazing.
3: Share the spotlight.
0: So are there some other authors or writers or anyone really that you'd like to give a shout out to?
2: Totally. Always. I have some very great virtual friends because I've never actually met them in person. But (laughs) they are amazing people and I love their books. The first one I will have to mention is M.L. Broom, who... Published her first novel at the same time I did, and realized that we are soul sisters. She's a romance writer, and I found that every single one of her books is just better than the last, and they're all amazing. The one she just published two weeks ago, you could just see her laying her soul bare in the pages, even though it's a book. You can just hear her voice that she's telling her story. Mm. And there was like I said, the authenticity really speaks to people. Mm. Her books do that for me. And every time she releases another book, it's like I learn another facet of this person, this wonderful individual that I've never met. Another one who who speaks to my love for anime, because I am a secret anime fan, is and I actually have, I have a copy of his book. It's called this one is called The Dragon Game. The uh, the first book in the series is Origin of the White Wind and the author is called Xander Cross. And this one is a story about a Japanese Shrine Fox who has become a demon because he he, he, he did something evil and has is no longer a spiritual celestial being. He is now a demon. It's set in a... Future Tokyo, but with this whole concept of the Japanese pantheon of demons and gods and dragons, and it's it's just fantastic. Absolutely,
0: that sounds good. Mm. I think I'd like that book. Yeah, you would. Definitely think.
2: Totally. I don't know if you know *Rurouni Kenshin*, the the anime about the the samurai Kenshin, but that it's very much has this that kind of feel to it. Hmm. Action-packed. And full of battle scenes, and it's really, really awesome. And then the other one, which I'd like to share with you, is you're British, right? Mm -hmm. So you will get this. (laughs) Shane. This book is *The Sable Tales* by Lawrence Switzer, and it is very much an American *Canterbury Tales*, and very very humorous. Switzer's sense of humor is just hilarious. I I, I mean it's essentially it's a story about the devil going on a train ride and all the people around him telling tales woven into this concept of the devil. And it's a ton of short stories all completely disparate just like the canterbury tales i mean they're not Mm. actually connected but switzer manages to connect them with little each one so that they kind of like play off each other and you have this really hilarious story it's
0: very very funny that That sounds good too yeah (laughs) this is
1: good shame buying a load of books now
0: (laughs) yes the time to read them is the problem i
1: know so where can people find you if they're looking for you?
2: On Instagram and then all my books are available on Amazon and some of my books are available wide. So on iBooks and Scribd and Barnes and & Noble's Nook and such likes.
0: Brilliant. Okay, well, thank you so much for coming on. Yes,
1: thank you. And it's and been thank
2: you for having me.
0: It's been great. Uh, you've made me feel like a worthless human. No. <laughs> no, I'm joking. No, you're very inspiration. <laughs> I'm only really joking. I'm only really joking. No, like you, you really do so much for so many, and obviously you have a real passion for writing, and you're using that in a really uh, kind of positive way. And I think that's a huge takeaway from this for me is you you can use writing in different ways, and and you've you've really put it to a positive use. So. Thank you very much for sharing. Thank you.
2: And so that you don't feel discouraged and others don't feel discouraged. Please remember, I've been at this for 20 years. I've overcome most of my barriers and now I'm kind of finally reaching this point. Most people don't have to take that long. So guys, just go for <laughs> it. <laughs> Thank you very much.
1: Thank you much. very much. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the I Endeavor podcast.
0: Join us next week for another episode. You can find us on YouTube or your favourite podcasting app, or on Instagram.
1: And if you're a creator or a small business that would like to take part in Series 2, email podcast.idyllicendeavor.com.
0: And don't forget to like and subscribe to make sure you see all future episodes.